0: Do you believe you can live a pain-free, vital life? Do you want to step back into your power and share your gifts with the world? Are you ready to make a commitment to you? It's time to reclaim your inheritance as a self-healer. Welcome to The Nature of Healing.
1: Hello, healers. I'm Roseanne. This week, the week of August 12th, is homeoprophylaxis week. I bet you didn't know. It's the perfect opportunity to explore this little known healing art of homeopathy, which is really all about real immunity. You know, we don't often hear about this natural healing modality. The medical community does not talk about it, even though homeopathy was once widely known and used in this country. In the early 1900s, Homeopathic hospitals were the standard of care before being pushed out by money and politics under the profiteering Rockefeller Foundation. And then during the 1918 Spanish flu epidemic, you had a better chance of surviving the flu in a homeopathic hospital than an allopathic hospital. The death rate in an allopathic hospital was 30%, and in a homeopathic hospital, 1.05%. And the remedy of choice? gelsemium in fact homeopathy was the first safe form of vaccination which was introducing an agent in a highly diluted energized or potentized form to stimulate the immune system to protect against disease so what happened to homeopathy there's so much to know about this non-toxic medicine and to help us all understand it better I'm honored to welcome Minnesota homeopath and internationally respected author and teacher Kate Birch. Welcome, Kate.
0: Hello, Roseanne. Thanks for having me today.
1: Hey, you're welcome. It's good to have you on. And I should have also said you're a friend because we've known each other for a few years. Mm -hmm. And and I want to give people some background about you before we go into it. Yep. So... You are highly qualified to speak on the issue of homeopathy. You devoted your life to the practice of homeopathy. And as a young mother, you witnessed your son suffering from acute asthma after vaccinations. And after successfully seeking treatment for your family, you studied homeopathy, and you've been in practice since 1994. Um, Kate has also lectured throughout North America, England, Eastern and Western Europe, Turkey, India, Japan, and Cuba. Her topics cover the application of homeopathy, infectious disease prevention, and treatment, vaccine damage, public health care models, biological systems, and more recently, recovery from glyphosate toxicity. Kate has served as the vice president of the North American Society of Homeopaths, or NASH, from 2005 to 2008. Uh, In the fall of 2007, she represented Nash at the inaugural meeting of the International Council for Homeopathy, or ICH, in Heidelberg, Germany, and remains Nash's rep to the ICH. Her first book, Vaccine-Free Prevention and Treatment of Infectious Contagious Disease with Homeopathy, a manual for practitioners and consumers, was published in 2007. Additional books that she's co-authored or authored followed in 2011, 2014, 16, 18, and 19, and links to her books and website can be found in the show notes. So, Kate, hi, I, <laughs> I, I, I learned from you that this week is homeoprophylaxis week. So can you define for the audience the term and let us know why you choose to work and promote homeoprophylaxis?
0: All right. So, um, and actually the week is last week, so it's uh, every year it's August 4th to 10th, and we developed this International Homeoprophylaxis Awareness Week uh, last year was the first year that it was established, and we did it again this year, and we chose August as the month because... Um, People, kids are going back to school and people are thinking about vaccines and we just want to keep promoting that homeoprophylaxis is an option out there. So uh, let me give a short definition of homeoprophylaxis and then talk a little bit about how I came to it. Um, So according to the vaccine theory, The idea is you introduce an infectious agent in an attenuated form, so like a mild version of the disease, Mm -hmm. and it activates an immune system response, and through that process, you generate immunity. And it's similar to uh, this theory. You know, this is what happens when you get the actual disease. So, say you're exposed to chickenpox, you go through the immune system process of chickenpox, and then you have lifetime immunity. And uh, the, the theory of vaccination follows the same model, and they have attenuated the antigen on some other host cell medium, and then they've added in other ingredients and immunomodulators and um, antibiotics and heavy metals and things like that. So the actual substance of the vaccine is not just the infectious agent, but it's complicated with these other ingredients. So going back to the original theory of introducing the immune system, some infectious agent in a weakened form, watching that immune system process move through, and then through that you generate immunity. This is exactly what we're doing with homeoprophylaxis. But our attenuation method is through dilution, the same as with homeopathic remedies through a serial dilution and succussion process so and then there's no added ingredients and so what you get is a a natural or as close as possible a natural immune response that's not activated or catapulted by the adjuvants, as in like vaccines, which can produce these alarming immune responses. It's a mild immune response. And after a series of doses, you gently build immunity in in a fashion that's as close as possible to real immunity uh, without the attended risks, because not every child can go through that full infectious process of the disease because the symptoms themselves like too high of a fever or not enough fever or other things like that can actually put the child at risk. So um, I've been practicing since 1994 and my son was born in 1985 and I was a young mom and um, I got him his two month shots, which was DPT. I think it was just that vaccine at the time, or it might have been a DPT and a polio. And he went into a kind of high pitched screaming that lasted a few days. And I didn't like either one injecting this thing in his body. I had spent, you know, um, all of my pregnancy being, you know, eating. Fresh food and organic, and I lived in California, and just the idea of like I wouldn't put even a potato chip in my body because I thought that it was junk food. You know, Uh, watching that happen, I was like, wow, I don't like that, and I didn't like what happened, and I didn't know, as we all know now, that high pitched screaming is a very common side effect of the DTap or DTP vaccine. Um, So it had always been on my mind to be weary of vaccines. And even as I started homeopathic school, I began to see and understand that you could treat these infectious disease with homeopathy. And so by the time my daughter came along, I didn't vaccinate her, and she was born in 1992. And um, I, very early on in my practice, started talking about the use of homeopathy for the treatment of infectious disease. And then... After my first book Vaccine Free was published I was invited to speak at a conference in Cuba where I learned about a sequential homeoprophylaxis program and I and by that time in America we had seen the autism rates at you know 2000 be like 1 in 10,000 to by 2008 they were you know 1 in 65 165 or something and I was like something else needs to happen besides vaccination and so I sought about a way to develop access to homeoprophylaxis as to try to actually curb the increasing rate of autism and to give parents another choice in um, how to educate their child's immune systems
1: Wonderful, because there's very few people, uh, very very few homeopaths, I would assume, that do pr- homeoprophylaxis. It's kind of a um, studied technique, right? Not just anybody can partake in that.
0: Yep. And so when I came back, I started lecturing to first homeopaths, my colleagues in Minnesota, and they actually had met it with some resistance. And I thought, okay, well, I'll just start lecturing in the public. And the public, because there's certain theoretical basis upon which we apply homeopathic remedies and the use of homeoprophylaxis, I mean, globally, homeopathy is you have a set of symptoms and you give a remedy based on the similitude of the symptoms that remedy can produce to the The person who has a set of symptoms and so the idea of homeoprophylaxis goes against um, basic homeopathic philosophy in that understanding but when it comes to what we're doing with homeoprophylaxis it's its own practice in itself so it is sort of under the umbrella of homeopathy because we're using nozodes which are also homeopathic Used in practice, but this idea of giving serial, um, serial or sequential doses um, to facilitate an immune system response is—it's similar to what's called homeopathic proving, mm-hmm. where you take a substance and it produces a set of symptoms. It's along the same philosophical um, line as that. So, but anyways, long story short, um, we started, or I started, uh, you know, I had a few homeopaths that came on with me, and then we started educating more and lecturing more, and so it grew into a much larger, and we developed an organization called Free and Healthy Children International, where we won oversee the education of practitioners, but to oversee or support those practitioners in the delivery method of the homeoprophylaxis so that the families um, utilizing homeoprophylaxis are the most well-supported, if that makes sense.
1: Yes, that's wonderful, Kate. I'm so happy that you're leading the charge on that. Is it growing in use in this country?
0: Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh it's going in ebbs and flows, and this goes to some of your questions, but I want to bring it back to the Rockefeller Foundation, is that they originally sponsored the Flexner Report, which was a report done at, in the early 1900s that basically contem- condemned homeopathic schools and took and homeopathic hospitals because at that time there were many homeopathic hospitals. About one in five doctors in the United States was a homeopath. This is before the turn of the 1900s, before the turn of that century. And after that Flexner Report um, all of those schools and hospitals were shut down and lost their federal funding. They had to convert to allopathic. And actually, of historical significance, the Hennepin County used to be called Swedish Hospital, which at the turn of the century was a homeopathic hospital. And there's another, there's a mental hospital. Um, it's now a drug treatment center at Fergus Falls, but that at the same at the turn of the century, it was written, it was coded in Minnesota legislature, then I'd actually like to see the bill, but I've seen it in a historical book, that all patients at Fergus Falls were to be treated with homeopathic medicine. So it was actually legislated at that time as the number one treatment of choice for mentally ill people. But so this uh, Rockefeller Foundation, anyways, this Flexner Report, it basically not only homeopathy, but other you know, to- alternative modalities sort of evaporated. While I was in school, this has been like a century long agenda. So why don't people know so much about homeopathy or homeoprophylaxis? I was in college in 1987, And there was a set of, a couple sets of encyclopedias in the library. This was before, you know, the computer age and all of the research was done in the library. And I was fascinated with homeopathy. So I looked in these encyclopedia sets and the ones from the 60s had, you know, a three, four page um, expose on the history of homeopathy, what its principles are, where it's from, some remedies and this and that. And then right next to that old set was a new set that was printed like 1981, and they had reduced the statement on homeop- homeopathy to one paragraph and said that it was quackery. Mm-hmm. Then I looked at who published that encyclopedia and it was Eli Lilly which is a pharmaceutical company so I'm like how did pharmaceutical company get in the business of writing encyclopedias I don't know because they used to be you know dictionaries of knowledge right (laughs) as opposed to um something else
1: propaganda maybe
0: yeah yeah I mean it's been this it's been a long time Roseanne it's been a long time we've been hoodwinked and and the history has been rewritten over and these things have been forgotten,
1: yes, because those yeah. who control the narrative control the outcome, and yeah. I mean fast forward to today, homeopathy is healing the damage caused by the vaccines brought brought about by this Rockefeller Foundation, and the yeah. CDC and medical community are still demonizing it, and they claim that. Homeopathy is not scientifically studied. They claim it must be regulated because it's toxic. But anyone can do a search to find at least three large clinical studies showing the benefits of homeoprophylaxis.
0: There's more than three. There's hundreds of uh, hundreds and hundreds. There's I um, because of my international exposure, I have friends, you know, in every country and the ICH International Council. We have representatives from thirty-five different mm. countries, and there is a body of research in homeopathy which even the leptospirosis study out of cuba that at any point in time anything comes forth these people whoever they are just set it upon themselves to say that's not valid and it's a a self-proclaimed you know um uh, benediction if you could say uh, which is nonsense because it is valid i was in cuba It was amazing, Roseanne. There was this conference and they, the Ministry of Health was there, the the Minister of Health. So in Cuba, the history is, is that they had a post-viral neurologic condition that had broke out in the country. And they looking for some sort of alternative and so they put a call out for somebody to come and help and at that time and some of these people are my friends from uh, living in California six homeopaths went to Cuba and they helped them and they came up with some remedies and so that was in you see the early 90s So Cuba being under the embargo and being under, you know, economic restraints and having to fend for themselves, they're like, this is a very affordable system of medicine. And so within the Cuban government, they developed from the ministry of health, the ministry of science and natural biologics. They also have the Finlay Institute there, which is an, International vaccine manufacturer, WHO approved manufacturer. And they had a couple people with in key positions. One's name's Dr. Gustavo Braco, another is Dr. Concepcion Campa. And the two of them started really working on homeopathy in Cuba. And when The leptospirosis, every year they were having leptospirosis epidemics when there was flooding from hurricanes. So hurricane season is in November. And so they um, decided to do an en masse clinical trial with three of the provinces. They made the homeoprophylaxis nosolep, which is, you know, uh, leptospirosis nozode. And they took it to these three provinces and dosed it was 2.3 million people in 2007 and the same amount in 2008. And then they tracked leptospirosis throughout the island and compared um, rates, right? So at this conference, they're presenting not only this leptospirosis study, but they're also presenting uh, work and research that they had done on hepatitis A, and the the one woman who was speaking on that, she said, you know, she had all the numbers of the hepatitis incidents throughout the country, and they started using the remedy phosphorus, and within a month or two, they had basically eradicated hepatitis A from the school lunchrooms across the island that they couldn't study it anymore because there was no more incidence of it. And they, they had another situation. One of the hurricanes was the winds were coming at like 65 or 75 miles an hour, and a lot of people got dust in their eyes and dirt in their eyes, and it caused this kind of conjunctivitis. And they spread, and, and it was a hemorrhagic conjunctivitis. So um, these people were in the hospital and they're bleeding out of the eyes. And they used the remedy Euphrasia and passed that around. And within, they took what would have been a week-long hospital stay and to discharge the same day. And so it was, there. anyways, they just had, it was just so amazing to be there. And at the end of that meeting, we had sort of a plenary session going, okay, what are we going to do? You know, there were some people from Africa talking about malaria. There were some people from England talking about homeopathy and the treatment of farm animals, and um, there's other people from uh, who had been working in the Central America in the rural villages, doing you know epidemic kind of diseases there. And so we made a plan, <clears throat> and the plan was that the Finlay Institute would create a whole listing of nozodes to be available for global distribution. And when we, uh, they were going to have another conference two years later, 2008, come Obama being elected into office and his deal with Cuba and trying to resolve this 50 year, whatever embargo, Pretty soon, that ministry was taken over. Mm-hmm. Gustavo Braco was getting—he got over sixty death threats. I don't know what happened to Concepción Campa. She was in her 80s back then, so I think she's still alive. I—I I haven't heard anything. But the minister was fired. They separated the homeopathy branch out of the, the Finlay Institute, and um, none of this stuff happened. And I don't know all the pieces of it. I came across some information more recently that under that administration, um, and I'm not being political at all, but just pointing it out, is that um, this supposed measles epidemic that happened this springtime it was planned out three years ago to use it to force mandate vaccines around the nation, so um, to write these laws and they were going to scapegoat they had, they had the rehearsal was done in two thousand and 15 in the, you know, the Disneyland measles outbreak, which justified the passing of SB 277. That was the rehearse, right? So it's like, let's, let's pick a place. Let's, you know, get a few cases of measles, cause mass hysterica, justify the legal, you know, mandatory vaccines. And um, that under, anyway, so there's, there's players that are doing things, Rosanna, I don't understand it and I don't know how we can change it and what 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 we're going to do.
1: Yeah, you really hit on a good, um, important point here because this is the Hegelian dialectic playing out and it plays out in all different fields, um, not just science and vaccination, but they have this planned agenda and it's problem, reaction, solution. So just as you described it, they have this problem, they create the problem, they invite hysteria, which, you know, is the reaction they want to roll out. And then they roll out the solution, um, their solution that's already pre-planned and by design. So like those who own the narrative control the outcome and they always have. And yeah. it, the, that's why they want to put an end to, you know, any of this knowledge that can make people self-sufficient. You know, the, the Cubans, they took a dire situation of this forced embargo and they turned it into a benefit for the population. And that wasn't what, you know, that that backfired according to the people who write the narrative that that wasn't the outcome that they intended. So they have to stop it from proliferating, you know, and so, but this is why this show and and what you do and um, what we're all about is we're getting the information out because individuals can do it. Even if only a few people hear it, it can spread word of mouth, just, you know, just like, uh, you know, some of these modalities go underground if they have to, they will come up and rise again because that's human nature.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: So you seem to be at the center of all this action. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Starting in Cuba, you know, and and this, you know, this important publication of the leptospirosis uh, information and study and what has your role been since then on the homeopathic stage, if you will?
0: You know, it fluctuates. Right now we're in the process of um, verifying and analyzing the data. We've had a 10-year homeoprophylaxis study going on uh, with Free and Healthy Children International. And the entrance to the study closed in 2014. And then it takes about four years for, you know, kids to go through the program and so we had all of our data pooled, you know, last year or into the winter months, and then um, we're going through that. What, you know, if there were ten of me, that each one of them would be too busy. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and I have enough work lined up for the rest of my life, you know, with all the projects that I've got going on. Um, the the last um book is just on this glyphosate, which hasn't, the door has barely even opened to understand the depth of, of what this goes on. What my practice is inundated with vaccine damaged children. And, and particularly here in Minnesota, um, there's a large Somali, group with vaccine-damaged children. So I have a high percentage of Somali families. And their children are getting better. Um, You know, they are less hyper some of them are talking more you know their their bowels and their diet and they're eating or learning the brains a lot of them come with their heads swollen you can see that the the cranial plates are bulging and then slowly after a month or two of treatment that they reduce in size the kids start making eye contact start being able to listen and understand what they're being told and um so what where am I in this and I I don't really know. I um
1: <laughs> it's a blur.
0: <laughs> it is a blur. You know, I'm doing the best that I can. One of the pieces of work that I did because well, a few things. So when Vax came out that came and had three showings in uptown here in Minnesota. I stood at the back and did emotional freedom technique on myself because for 20 years i had been lecturing on vaccines so much so that all of my friends thought i was crazy and i'm like i'm not crazy this is real and when vax came i stood there and reprieved myself from the watch of that I said thank you for all that you have done and you no longer need to carry this because look at how many people out there are saying exactly the same thing so um, that opened the door for me to sort of broaden my horizon and do other things and start thinking about things on a different level and I I'm in the middle of a transformational process in myself in my being, if we could say that mm-hmm. is um, so in homeopathy we have the understanding of epidemic diseases that a group of people has a common susceptibility that allows an infectious disease to take place and if you understand what that susceptibility is there is in nature homeopathic remedy that can we call it, fulfill that susceptibility so that that infectious disease no longer needs to be there. Yes. If that makes sense, right?
1: For sure. Mm -hmm.
0: So I started asking this question to the universe. What's going on? Why to mothers keep surrendering their babies to this institution which is maiming them i mean that to me is like the crux of the problem right i mean Mm -hmm. we can blame the lawmakers we can blame and when it came to sb 277 and they had you know the schools were going to start policing whether the kids were vaccinated and and this and that i'm like where is the stopping point where is the person who's going to put the brakes on and say no more And it ultimately lies in the hands of the parents. And so then I started thinking, well, what is it about? Because it ultimately lies in the hands of the mother, because she's the one that gave birth to this child. And according to like every other species on the planet, the mother looks after the baby and will even attack the father, you know, to protect the baby. So our animal instincts should come through. And I was like, what is going on with women that they're so disconnected from this survival prerogative? You know, um, so I had been asking the question for about two or three years and had gotten myself worked up in a state of, this is the end of humanity. And especially after watching Vaxed. So I was asking for... To show me a remedy or a substance that could treat on this much larger perspective something that would cure whatever that sickness was inside of those mothers that made them lose faith in their own experience on this planet um, that would lead them to surrender their babies and i 'm not blaming women or mothers for doing this, but i'm just asking you know. Why this is there? And I was at a conference, a Western A. Price conference in Montgomery in 2016, and there was a woman lecturing there on einkorn wheat and this ancient grain. And she had a kid who had all this eczema, and they started eating this wheat, and you know the child didn't have eczema anymore. You know that's the story. So I thought, okay, I want to know about this wheat. One, because nobody can digest wheat. You know, why is that that nobody can digest wheat? And it's ancient. So there must be some because all I had done some provings before in homeopathy and every substance takes you on a journey into what their conscious, the consciousness is of that Mm -hmm. journey. Mm -hmm. And um, so I had taken several journeys like this and like, they're kind of shamanic journeys in a way if mm-hmm. you can say that yeah so in 2017 i did in turkey because the grain actually originates in the fertile crescent in the middle east i did a proving of the einkorn wheat and that's um a movie which i think you're listing on your page it's paradise lost and found the The mother of Sora, homeopathic proving of Triticum monococcum is, or or Einkorn is the, the common name. And so this opened up a door into a much larger realm of consciousness. That I could say that I stepped into, which we all have the potential to open the door into to get into, which has to do with our connection with nature and this earth and this planet that we live on, that somehow we've forgotten or we neglect or that we don't feel that we're worthy of, or that you know, religion has pushed out of us that we're not really a part of nature or our animal. Uh, You know, we're God-like, but not a part of nature, even though God is nature, you know. Um, So, you know, just telling the story is that I'm moving in my own personal development into this much larger realm of consciousness. It's the same as true, I mean, we thought vaccines were bad. You introduce glyphosate into the mix, and you tenfold it as far as the damage, what glyphosate is doing. And I never even knew that until I realized that I myself was, I had been sick, gotten sick, uh, 2006. Um, So sick that I was bedridden for about two or three weeks. I actually thought I was going to die because I couldn't even walk. I wrote my will. I was like, okay, this this is you know, whatever's happening is taking me out right now. And it wasn't until two thousand and seventeen, which was at another Weston A Price conference where um Stephanie Seneff was lecturing on glyphosate, I thought, oh my goodness, this I developed sudden onset hyperthyroidism and in a period of a month I lost twenty pounds and it all came after I had moved this huge truckload of farm soil which had come in probably heavily laden with glyphosate. And um, so going down the road of researching glyphosate and understanding that it is taken over our operating systems. Glycine is an amino acid that's utilized throughout the body in every different system the hormonal system the neurotransmitter system this musculoskeletal system all the receptor sites and glyphosate gets in there instead of the glycine and makes every system malfunction to varying degrees depending on the family heritage you know or genetic propensities of the individual and so in that process I too was asking there is a much larger question here and it has to do with consciousness and humanity, conscience, you know, what we're doing on this planet. And so I don't know the answer of where I'm going, what my role is, but I'm expanding. I need more time. I need to be less practicing and being drowned with, you know, the sufferers
1: you are playing your role, the role that you're meant to play on on the stage. That's all I can uh, yeah gather from what you're telling me. And you know, you're it's. I did see that film that you produced on that. Uh, it's a beautiful film, and I do recommend it to everybody. We'll try to get a link to that uh, for you, but it. It is an example of what I think if people are willing, if women are willing to experience all that there is to experience in this life, they're going to go through something like you went through. I went through something similar too. We can talk about that another time Mm -hmm. off air, but um, it it also, it takes you to a place within yourself. You you go deeper within yourself to to self-reflect and you come out a different person. You can't help but come out change because your frequency changes. And, you know, that's how humanity will rise, will will move up, is if we all can be vulnerable enough to go through a process like that, embrace it, and look at it as a gift for some special knowledge that we're meant to obtain and then share with the rest of the world, which is what your story, you're describing that story. You know, I went through a similar process. Many healers go through this process. And we're all healers. That's, that's yeah. the thing that government doesn't want us to know. We are all healers with the ability to heal ourselves if we can connect to nature, just as you said. And it is that connection that is being stifled and, and suppressed. And it's our well, it's,
0: it's, it's even the abdication of the individual to realize that connection, you know, it's the fear can be there to a certain extent. What I know now, just like what you're saying is since the time of doing that einkorn, mm-hmm. I have been healed on every part of my body. Like, well, and then I cleared the glyphosate out of me doing a, a glyphosate detox. We're going to have to do another session on that. But um, <laughs> yeah that like I'm healthy. There like every cell is operating at there's no disease in my body because I am just connected. I'm just a life force. I'm just part of like the planet is not diseased you know i'm yeah we're just a part
1: of that right it's like you find a different perception your yeah, perception yeah. completely shifts and you see what the potential is with with everybody and everything because you are connected to that and it's what you're saying is exactly what i found too is women tend to give up their power to higher authorities because they believe there is an authority outside themselves and it's it's for women to come to that understanding and know that everybody is Everybody is part of the whole. We all have a gift. We all are a gift to share, and we're here to share our gifts so yeah. I you yeah. know sometimes we have to go through how to get to that understanding just we like do. yeah, but but then it comes out as a gift to share with other people, as you are doing so beautifully, yeah, yeah. so thank you for sharing that um. In 2017, the FDA put out draft guidance for homeopathic products, claiming that they must be able to enforce those products that do not have FDA approval, um, which are most of the homeopathic products on the market. Um, and they've been going after homeopathy now in a new with a new, you know, energy. Um, and and then soon after that, I saw that you had put out a. A really dynamic interview with um, a Guardian journalist, journalist of the British paper, the Guardian, who has a reputation as being a homeopathic headhunter. You know his name; he calls himself Ed. Pilkington, if that's even his real name. Anyway, I listened to the interview in which he hoped to implicate all homeopaths for causing the measles outbreaks. And I loved how you turned the tables on this man and controlled the interview. Um, We'll have a link to that interview in in the show notes as well. Mm -hmm. I think it backfired on him personally. What was... What was your reason for taking this headhunter on? And what do you see as the solutions moving forward from all of these different episodes? Where it's going. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. So um, we'll just give a little clarity and background on the FDA. So the, there's always been a branch of the FDA called the HPUS, Homeopathic Pharmacopeia, of the United States. It was established in 1929 by a Bornemann who is a homeopath homeopathic pharmacy and at that time homeopathic remedies they the the testing of a homeopathic remedy is done through a proving just like we talked about the einkorn proving right Mm -hmm. so Samuel Hahnemann the original homeopath he first took a substance quinine to observe the effects in his body. And he noticed the effects were like malaria. And so he and a group of about six doctors, and then he actually started looking at cases of malaria and giving quinine and saying, oh wow, it actually treats malaria. You know, They got better. So he and about six doctors went through, in his life he proved 150 substances and put them and cataloged all the symptoms and classified from head to toe and inside out and, you know, based on the, these, these doctors going through this experience. And um, come 1929, there was probably about 1,500 remedies that had gone through provings of, these nat- of this nature and had been classified into the homeopathic materia medica. And up until the 80s, I don't know all the details, but I don't believe that there were many other remedies added to what's called the monograph of the HPUS, of the homeopathic pharmacopoeia. So but come the 80s, when there was an insurgence of new homeopath, you know, sort of a a revival in the United States, since the Flexner Report was done, it kind of killed homeopathy for about 50 or 60 years. And then Starting in the 70s, there are a few teachers from Europe came over and then, um, so then remedies started being added. And in 1995, the FDA stopped and said, no more remedies can be added to the HPUS. They have to go through some sort of verification process. And um, historically, how, a remedy is validated through that proving process. So there's no double-blind placebo-controlled study done on a homeopathic remedy. Even though within the provings, there's often like placebo is taken, but the thing of it is in a proving is more often the placebo recipient produces the best symptoms of the proving. And so it moves the concept of what is placebo, what is proving, what is consciousness, Mm -hmm. You know, it starts questioning all those different things, which modern science doesn't have any answers, you know, boxes to fit that into. And so they just want to throw the whole thing out and say, you know, until we can do a double blind placebo control study that, you know, so this is where the origination of the draft guidance document came about is we want to say that all of these remedies need to go through this kind of rigorous study. The other thing about the FD, this draft guidance was that they had classified a homeopathic drug as any substance that had been diluted to a 2x potency or higher. And mm-hmm. so um, if it's diluted Prior to the draft guidance, you did not need to go through any double-blind placebo-controlled study. You could just label it homeopathic, and it would be fine. And so in the early 2000s, there was a, a, a number of products put on the market that were labeled homeopathic, but they were just through the dilution process, but no proving had ever been done on them, and they're not within... The classical homeopaths, you know, materia medica, they wouldn't use that. It would be for um, other practitioners that are using, you know, your combination remedies or this or that. They're, they're not truly what we would call in the homeopathic materia medica. Right. Right. So, a uh, part of the writing of the draft guidance document was to try to control this. Um, this level of products on the market. So I was actually had the opportunity to be at the initial hearing that the FDA held in DC at the proposal of the writing of this draft guidance document. So before it had been written, I can't remember if that was 2015 or 2016, something like that. Um, And there were, it was attended by Every, you know, main person in the whole homeopathic profession of the pharmacists, the MDs, the NDs, the nurses, the, you know, North American Society of Homeopaths, representatives, all very, and and there were some skeptics there and some people that wanted to testify, you know, the homeopathy was nonsense, but they actually, because the whole tone of the meeting had taken from first the, the panelists of FDA agents were rather punitive and dismissive and and scalding if you could say to the speakers to begin with and then slowly as the story unfolded and it looked like the homeopathic profession was out in full force defending this 2200 year old system of medicine and most the most um important presentation was the woman who was the uh, publisher of originally Mothering Magazine, then it had switched over, she said she represented 90,000 people, consumers of homeopathy. Wow. And that this, she was a voice of that and people wanted homeopathy. So this draft guidance was all about OTC products, over-the-counter products, and what's going to be written on their labels. This, the whole thing is just about labeling of these products and um, they published it anyways despite there was over uh, I think 11,000 comments sent to the FDA there might have been more I lost track after certain and some even from international people wrote from different organizations and so that all of those comments were ignored
1: Um, that seems to be a pattern
0: yeah it's a pattern it's 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 this is the next question that i ask pretty much on a daily basis and i think that you do too and many other people is how do we get on top of this how do we get around it how do we go under it how do we navigate this conundrum so going to ed pilkington now you know so this measles epidemic right from started in january ended in june amazingly when the congressional session was over (laughs) yeah um it and meanwhile you know as a human we are by being conscious beholden to a consciousness which is outside of ourselves that governs our own conscience like what conscience is is when you connect to truth when you connect to a universal truth that conscience if we each sit and say is this right or wrong the answer that we get to is an answer that comes from outside of ourselves so as a rational minded person and again in my practice of overwhelmingly faced with vaccine damaged children and this media propaganda about you know vaccines are safe and effective that's one contradiction that i was trying to reconcile inside of myself it's like no just take a day in my office and sit and watch these kids where it takes three people to manage them throwing stuff around the office and i can't even think because my adrenals are on high alert because their adrenals are on high alert right Mm -hmm. so no Okay, that's one contradiction. The other contradiction is, you know, this draft guidance thing. And this also came to bear because I've looked consistently at the FDA website and they started changing it this year and rewriting it as if the draft guidance had been published and had been approved.
1: Mm. And
0: they had even said that use of any homeopathic remedy that has not been approved by the FDA is, is... akin to health fraud. And so then I'm going, okay, great. So here's a homeopath treating all these vaccine-damaged children, which actually doesn't exist because vaccines are safe and effective, but meanwhile they do because I'm being traumatized by it. And now they're gonna say that homeopathic remedies is I can be accused of practicing health fraud. So this tension inside of me, then I see on Facebook, one of my homeopathic colleagues, she posted the email that she got from Ed Pilkington and I had was in Brazil when I saw that and we had our because free and healthy children has um, a number of homeoprophylaxis supervisors right and I was like wow we've been in existence for eight ten years and so far nobody's come down on us as being you know homeoprophylaxis at least not yet in the United States and I've been the spokesperson of the organization, and I am like, I'm ready. You know, one of the things that being so sick and being on my deathbed, you let go of a lot of nonsense in your head, and you just get to what is really important. And I was halfway through writing my vaccine-free book at the time. I said, okay, if I get a little bit of strength, I need to keep writing this because it's the truth. And, but I, I got to this other place where I don't know if you saw the movie Schindler's List, where the woman in the concentration camp, she was down on her knees and the soldier is like, get up, go to work. She says, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Shoot me. It doesn't matter. And he shot her because she just, it didn't matter. And at that point, so I found that place inside of myself to, Take this path because it doesn't matter. Take me out. It doesn't matter because the truth is what matters in this situation. And um, so... I'm like, okay, I'm going to talk to Ed Pilkington. So I wasn't afraid because this other homeopath is like, I don't want to get on stage. And our other supervisors who are inundated, particularly we have a bunch in New York and the parents freaking out because of the mandatory vaccine law that was coming down the pipeline. So I'm going to talk to this guy. And the first uh, conversation I had with him was in the Panama airport And we were setting up a time for the next day, which is what's recorded in that recording. And I was pretty um, direct with him. And I said, you know, one, I wanna make sure that I'm not defamed, but two, we want dialogue. And if we're starting to look towards a solution, we want dialogue. The people with vaccine damage, children, they want dialogue. They want to be heard, that this is a valid experience for them instead of the party line of what it is, right? And we want whoever those people are in power, instead of forcing down our throats some particular agenda that's made up, that isn't even living in their own truth about life or existence, it's some... I mean, I I don't understand how they can just make this stuff up and believe it. But so I was pretty fired up with him, and you can tell right from the very beginning of the the interview that I wasn't going to take any nonsense. And I set it up exactly how it was that I was going to answer his questions because what we are dealing with is a, two different paradigms. One is disease is bad, you know. You got to eradicate it at every possible point in time. And the other is the point of view of homeoprophylaxis is, wow, you know, we actually want to work with, what is that process of disease that actually strengthens the immune system? So what is that? What does that do for the child's well-being to actually contract an infectious disease or to rehearse that immunological process that strengthens that um, that place. So, um that interview yeah. really Ooh. changed the paradigm right then and there. Exactly. Somebody, it did. It 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 took his and, you know, then it was planned. You know, he had he probably because I knew at the end like he kind of shook in his voice. Like he was taken aback and humbled by the experience because he understood something that he hadn't understood before because I used his own intelligence process to find the answers.
1: Yes, you got into his head and yeah. and you actually caused him I mean, I, I felt a certain level of respect for you from him. He didn't he didn't push, he didn't you know, he didn't talk over you. He yeah. he really allowed you to speak your truth and you allowed him to speak his. And that was a perfect example of how we can move forward is we can respect each other.
0: Respect and dialogue and creating the space. And just a little piece in that is that because I'm actually English, um, he's English. So there's a mannerism within English communication that, you know, somebody who, who looks at linguistics would, would, you know, an American might not be as successful because the way that Americans talk is a little more brash or a little bit more polarized or something like that. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and that might be the reason why we aren't be able to have so much dialogue here in this country because people get fixed on this sort of polarized point of view.
1: Yes, and they're taught to have those types of exchanges to really talk at each other instead of to each other.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: but but that yeah. was a wonderful interview, and like I say, we're gonna share the link so people can hear it and 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 really model that conversation or that discussion. Uh, yes. In, in your own discussions out there, because everybody can take up the torch, whatever torch it is, to to make sure that they retain their freedom to choose whatever is best for them. And this is what we're losing slowly in, in homeop, the homeopathic- um,
0: Homeoprophylaxis.
1: Yeah. And the homeoprophylaxis discussion is showing us that what we're, what we're potentially losing here So people need to take up a torch and need to speak the truth and need to speak their truth, just like you've done, Kate. Mm
0: -hmm. And one of the things just to say on that is throughout our work with Free and Healthy Children International is developing the language to be able to have those conversations. So one of the pieces that you can take the polarization out. Somebody says, you don't believe in vaccination? Oh my goodness, right? But the question is, is there's two questions in that statement. One is, what to do about disease prevention? And the other is, is what is vaccination? And they aren't the same thing, because you can still contract the disease with vaccination. So And homeoprophylaxis can work with the disease prevention. So when you take somebody saying, you know, I'm really for vaccines, you can hear them and say, I hear that you're for infectious disease prevention. I agree with you. Now let's talk about the method. And then it opens up the dialogue for another way, another thing to talk about. And Yeah. yeah.
1: This is what I've been talking about, too, ever since we first met at the U.S. Health Freedom Congress many years ago. I remember when we could introduce a topic for discussion. My topic was reclaiming the narrative, changing the narrative. And it's taken all these many years for for me to kind of find that language in my own writing to change that narrative, not to use the narrative that's presented to us, but to use our own language. And here you are doing it beautifully yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe that is a consciousness shift because it's happening in many people on many levels and it it can't be stopped. So Mm -hmm. I think that's what we do have to do. We can't use their language. We have to use our own. Yeah. Kate, thank you so much for yeah. joining me and sharing your truth.
0: Yes. Thanks, Roseanne, for having me and for all the listeners. And I hope you learned something. And
1: Oh, absolutely. And for people who want to know more about your books or how to find them, um, where do they go? They're,
0: they're all on Amazon. So you're going to put all the, the titles. There's a family homeopathy book. There's one for the liver functioning glyphosate vaccine-free. And then the glyphosate-free is that. And then um, the solution, which is the parent's guide to educating your child's immune system.
1: Okay, and can they just search by your name?
0: Kate Birch. um, There is another author. Her name is Kate Birch, and she, interestingly enough, wrote a book on the plague coming to wipe out the planet. She found me and sent me a scathing letter like she couldn't believe we shared the same name. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How dare you, <laughs> you English woman.
0: <laughs> well, no, it, wasn't about the, it was not about the same name and that I was the antithesis, and I said, oh, there's a glitch in the universe right there.
1: <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> oh, well, it, it was an amazing... Um, Discussion. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge.
0: Yeah, thanks, Roseanne.
1: And for all my listeners, until next time, healers, lots of love.
0: Visit or consult with Roseanne Lindsay, naturopath, at natureofhealing.org, where you can find her books at her website and at amazon.com